secret. It's very bad. Very, very bad. I want to tell you, but... I... I... I'm afraid. Welcome! This is Russ Shaw, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. You got a secret? Email me. It's russ at digitalaudioproject.com. Got the email working again. Digitalaudioproject.com. I'm Russ. Any female listeners, it's M at digitalaudioproject.com. If you want to talk to a woman about this issue, guys, uh, email me. Thanks for listening. Today, I have a guest on the show. Pastor Rick Thiessen here at AC3, Marysville, Washington. Now, don't panic, you guys. I know I have a pastor on the show, but he's a, he's a safe pastor. He's a good friend of mine, and I have a great relationship with this guy. This guy helped me find out who I was and my relationship with God, because when I grew up in the church, I think I looked at most pastors, Rick, as my dad, you know? And yeah. you're, you're like a year older than I am, so I think that was another part that made me a little more comfortable with talking to you about stuff, is that yeah. I don't see you as, a, as my dad. Right. <laughs> if I say I'm a sinner that I, you know, looked at pornography or masturbated, you're not going to... You're going blind, or you're going to smack right. me with a stick or something or like that. The hair that. on your palms or that sort of thing, yeah. <laughs> That's right. So uh, I just wanted to bring Rick to you folks because Rick has helped me so much with this, and this is almost kind of a part two of the bomb squad. Um, what happens when the bomb goes off? What happens when a bomb is going to be set off? Uh, whether you have to confess or your behavior is getting to the point where you will be found out. Um, mm-hmm. The Bible says your sins will find you out. Hmm. I think that as long as we think we're stuck in the dark, we think we can get away with it, um, eventually it's going to come to the surface. Yeah. A great analogy. In fact, I often look at that, Russ, as like um, trying, to, trying to stuff a beach ball under the water. And truth is like that. You can try to force that thing down, but it's popping up. Yeah. Eventually. Right. And you'll get tired and, and pushing that sucker down, and eventually it's going to... Uh, it's going to pop right back up in our face. Um, you know, you helped me with a lot of stuff, Rick, and I just wanted to thank you, man, for, for being who you are, first mm. of all. Because when I, I was done with church for years. I've talked about that a lot on this show. I was just done with all the fakeism, all the legalism, all the even what you were talking about, the liberalism, libertarianism. Yeah. But you, you helped me bring everything back after my bomb had gone off which i don't think i probably would have uh, come back if mm. my bomb wouldn't have gone off mm-hmm. but getting in in your church and, and you we do church a little differently here yeah we do at ac3 mm-hmm. this is a, a seeker church a willow creek part of the willow creek association right. and i've heard a lot of people uh you know they they have a problem with that there's some critics out there of the of the seeker system right and to let people know that there is two services, you know, there's a lot of people I've heard them, they say, oh, yeah, well, they don't bring their Bibles to church, and it's all about, you know, glitz and, mm, and entertainment right. and stuff. And we have a second service that's for people like I was. You know, I was not, I was really leery at church, and I didn't want, you know, I'm going to have to stand up and, hey, my right. name's Russ, and we're going to, you know, all that stuff. So the second service really um, introduced me back into truth, back into the Bible, and you really do a great message on mm. showing folks how... The Bible really is truth, spiritual truth, and mm-hmm. it, it does coincide with society today in 2006. Um, 
And there is a first service where we do bring our Bibles to church. There is a big praise and worship type of uh, uh, deal, and but that's a little earlier service. It's yeah. a little more of a commitment spiritually because, you know, getting up early yeah. on Sunday for a lot of folks is a, another discipline issue. Mm-hmm. So... I just wanted to, you know, get people to understand that the the Willow Creek Association is probably not what you think. Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there. And what we're really trying to do is just pattern the ministry after what we see Jesus doing. And you see that Jesus doesn't um, uh, unload all the goods on everybody immediately. You have a whole entourage around him, an extended group of interested question askers, investigators that number in the thousands, literally. And to them, he is, you know, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. You know, the blind will hear, good news will be preached to the poor, and um, it's the year of jubilee. That's how he announces his ministry. Here's a year of freedom. You can be set free. The power of God is now alive and active and ready to make a difference in your life. Right. But then you also see that there's a second level, and it's not like it's uh, secret teachings or something like that, but it's it's meat. It's We go out of baby food into more mature topics for those who fully commit themselves to Jesus as the master. So... Um, that's kind of the way we handle it. We don't realize, or we don't assume that people who come in our front door on the arm of you, your friends, my friends, have got all their theology down, who understand even who Jesus really is, or right. what he came to do. So we got to introduce that at, a, at an elementary level. Right. So really, it's not about compromising the, the fundamental message of historic Christianity, it's about explaining it. And explaining it in a way that makes sense, even if you've never been to church in a long time, or if you have really... You know, almost no knowledge of Christian basics. Right. So it's very presentation-oriented. And then as people understand the good news and understand the freedom that God uh, designed us for in Christ, then they fo- they commit themselves fully to Christ, and now they're ready for uh, this whole new adventure of exploring their faith and maturing and worship and community and all the wonderful stuff that comes Right, and I, I, that's what really got me into the, the church, too, because I think people walk around with a lot of baggage like I did, a lot yeah. of baggage of shame and, and uh, guilt. You know, you walk into church, and sometimes church can be the worst place to go for a person who's saddled with guilt or shame or doing stuff in their life they know is wrong, but they keep doing it anyway. Yeah. You know, and sometimes church is a, is a big intimidation building. You know? Yeah. It's like walking into a building of your own uh Mired, you know, when you're, you're guilt, you don't know how to deal with that. And how, you're walking and, in front of a holy God with all your crap and your filth. And yeah. How, where is a safe place for that? And how did church that? ever become that? I want to know when the master had was surrounded by gluttons and drunkards and prostitutes and tax collectors. Does this make any sense? Exactly. I mean, what a complete disconnect. Yeah. Uh, he got a terrible reputation because uh, he was surrounded himself or allowed to be surrounded by the people who are, like you're saying, just loaded down with uh, guilt and uh, you know lifetime of failures, and they thought God could never love me. Right. And uh, they found something completely different in Christ. That's like me. I emailed this radio show with, uh, with Thor Tolo, and I said uh, in an email, I said that I think the churches who get people to, you know, this whole guilt attitude on people where they think that God is unapproachable, I think that's just as destructive as, as the Da Vinci Code. Mm-hmm. You know, you are, you are, basically the Da Vinci Code is saying that Christ isn't who he says he is. Right. And there's a lot of churches where a lot of people get that internalized in them, that, that Jesus is unapproachable, that 
God is unapproachable. One of the things that uh, you were talking about in your sermon about the Da Vinci Code was Dan Brown talks about, well, Jesus was a good rabbi, and all good rabbis got married, right? Yeah. Because he was a good rabbi. No, he wasn't a good rabbi. Yeah. <laughs> he was a rebel. He yeah. was outside the boundaries of what it meant to be a religious person at right. the time. And sometimes I feel like that, and you probably feel like that as well. Like We were outside the boundaries. I mean, here we are just trying to teach what Jesus talked about, and you know, we're, we're outside the boundaries because we play rock and roll or right. <laughs> yeah, have like some dramas up on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I, I remember walking into your church one of the uh, first couple weeks I came in. Dan was singing "Comfortably Numb" by Pink Floyd. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I thought, wow, this is a this is a little different type of deal going yeah. on here. And that's what really you know. And I could approach you too. I found you approachable. I remember coming up to you a couple of times, and I sat in this office where we're doing this show today, and I said. Uh, Matthew 5, which has become part of my battle cry with this whole ministry, I said, uh, you know, that is totally, no one can live up to that. Mm. No one can live up to the, the what Jesus talked about. And basically, yeah. I was right, wasn't I? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what Jesus was trying to get across to the Pharisees, yeah. was that um, he just broke down the law. You know, you say you shall not murder. Well, if you get angry with someone and say raka to them, mm-hmm. you know, that's the same as uh, murder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or, or adultery. If you even look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery. Right. Just breaking down the law and getting them to understand. And what does he end? What does he end Matthew five with? His, you know, you must be perfect. Be perfect. Yeah. yeah. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Yeah. And as soon as you find yourself losing your way in the Sermon on the Mount, I always tell people go back to the front door because it's like a house and it's like the kingdom way to live, but it begins. Uh, in the porch with the front door and you enter the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 3, with blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right. So the entry into the kingdom is through poverty of spirit, through a, just a recognizing that I am bankrupt in my soul. Right. So if you feel like that out there, if you're listening to this show and you feel like, you know, I am just such a jerk, such a loser, such an idiot, I'm just laying on the floor bleeding and, you know, I, the last place I want to walk into is a church. So I felt. Yeah. And, you know, God bless you. You know, you are blessed. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> it's the first, the first uh, criteria to be blessed and to enter the kingdom of heaven is this confessional, I have got nothing that I bring to a holy God that is going to earn me anything. Right. And I talk about that uh, with friends. I have... Uh, you know, people ask me what I do. I have a podcast show, and if they really press me on it, I tell them, you know. Mm-hmm. I do a recovery show for sex addicts. Yeah. And sometimes they, they look at me, and they'll, you know, you can almost see in their eyes, oh, you poor soul, you know. <laughs> when you deal in recovery, there's a lot of that, you know, this kind of, uh, oh, poor you right. kind of a thing. And yeah. But I think that life is a series of recovery. I think that's it. And, you know, it's interesting because Jesus was, you know, he said, why are you hanging around with these people, these broken people? I'm sure they gave the same reaction to Jesus as they did to you, Russ. I mean, oh, you poor guy. I mean, you're hanging around with the gluttons and the drunkards. Right. And why are you doing that? And Jesus turned around and he said, look, the uh, healthy don't need a doctor. Right. I have come for the sick. I've come to make sick well. If you don't recognize your own spiritual poverty, then you have, you have not uh, met the first condition to um, to become a follower of Christ. Right. And so some people are still wrestling with that. And and uh, what I love about what you're doing, Russ, honestly, I think the gospel according to Russ is I'm just listening to you and hearing your ministry flourish is confessional living and just being real. And coming to this, the place, uh, the very first place you need to come to in order to experience the healing of God, 
which is to this place of openness and transparency and finally getting to the reality of who I am. And then you experience this promise. Right. The truth will set you free. And you start to break those emotional habits. We create emotional habits on our mind. Um, uh, behavioral habits are one thing, but emotional habit will drive the behavioral habit home. A lot of us, we, when we're, until we break that, until we find out how broken we really are, we don't break those emotional habits. Um, the book, uh, Say Goodbye to Stubborn Sin, the surgeon's talking about your homeostasis, hmm. uh, where your mind is at. You know, when you try and do something to get yourself out of your rut, your, your flesh is going to fight it. You know, we are a spirit trapped in this fleshy body, and our spirit is gonna do everything it can to try and move our flesh and our flesh is going to do everything it can to keep everything normal yeah you know yeah normal is is evil mm. <laughs> i think yeah it depends you know just sticking with the with the program sticking with the, committing to the process mm. i that's my main uh challenge for anyone listening to this show anyone dealing with this addiction or any addiction for that matter is to commit yourself to the process to some kind of process and some kind of process that actually bears fruit at some point in your life. And, and changing up your physical habits. I think that's probably part of what you're saying there too, Russ, is that you change up your, some of your physical habits. Somebody says, I want to change who I am. I want to change a sexual addiction. I want to change my sexual habits. But they don't change any physical habits. They just think that the entire thing operates up here right. in their mind. Uh, it's critical that they need to stop visiting certain places or looking at certain things i mean their 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 body is intimately wrapped up in their victory or defeat right. at the hands of this besetting issue some people with friends also can be a exactly way of, i mean that's another thing yeah right. and as christians i i used to think this well i can influence my friends i'm going to try and influence them over to you know my way of thinking as being a christian and stuff like that right. well if i'm stuck in a behavior that's destructive and I know that I'm having a problem with it, and I get around people who are stuck in a behavior that's destructive, and they don't even think there's a problem with it. Yeah. Uh, what are my chances of influencing them until I can get myself out of the behavior? I think it's. Right. I don't think you know become a Christian or you get in recovery and you should just get rid of your friends. I disagree with that. I think that you should have a comfortable boundaries with them. Mm. If you feel like your friends are pulling you towards the behavior, right. then you need to sever the relationship with their behavior. Not necessarily with them, but understand that uh, spending time with them might not be the the greatest thing for your recovery. Who's the influencer? Exactly. You know, who's the influenced? And those that, I think, is the critical question. And that's part of what I'm talking about is the physical. There are some physical habits and um, contexts that need to change if we're going to fundamentally change. A great Bible story about this is Joseph from the Old Testament, where there's a woman who wants to drag him into bed, and it's not his wife. Right. And here's a single guy basically just being besieged by sexual temptation. His Here's his battle strategy. You know, are you ready? Run. Yeah. That's it. it I mean, and to physically remove himself from that situation. He doesn't say to himself, you know, in order to prove that I'm a strong person, I can overcome this in my mind or, you know, that I'm I'm bigger than this temptation or this moment. He doesn't hang around there and say, maybe I can just talk to her for a little bit and maybe we can just be friends. You know, I mean, right. these are these are not the thoughts in his mind. He, he must remove himself physically from that situation. And I think that we have to combine all the great recovery tools that we're getting 
uh, in terms of new mental habits with new physical habits. Who am I hanging around with? Where am I hanging around? What am I looking at? You know, listening to listening to. What are the influences I'm allowing myself to be around? Where are the places I let my body go? Because my body and my spirit are intimately connected now. Right. And uh, one is going to influence the other. Right. And that's another thing about music. You know, I play a lot of rock and roll on this show and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I think that there is great messages in in music. But at the same time, um, ACDC, for example, one of my favorite bands, there mm. is some music that is very sexually um, driven type of music that yeah. can make you think thoughts that are going yeah. to bring you back. Into, and just like you were saying, it's, it's, I talk about the snowball analogy on this show where if you can find the snowball when it first starts, you know, those little thoughts that pop into your mind and hit the delete button or yes. snuff them out of your mind yes. right when they, before they roll into this big snowball. Yep. Because by the time they get to the bottom of the hill and they're this huge snowball, you're standing there with your arms up trying to stop Forget it. Forget it, yeah. yeah it's and now, and now you're wondering copy. why you're living in defeat. Yeah. And it's like this would, would have been so much easier. Uh, I was just thinking about it last week when we were talking about doing this show. Uh, I, I, I'm an avid listener of sports radio. Love the local sports teams. Love to listen. But uh, they run this thing every year um, called the Bigger Dance where they kind of mimic the uh, basketball, college basketball um, uh, you know, competition brackets when you get the basketball, the NCAA championship, with a uh, basically a tournament of women, where they are judged by the callers and they kind of compete to see which women is better than another, and they of course have a playoff until you get the winner. And I realized that this is, you know, I used to listen to that thing, oh, this is harmless fun or whatever, and I realized this is one of those small little snowballs right. that just set your mind in a whole direction of judging a woman by her looks and the way they talk about women and objectify them and uh, you know sexualize them in in a very trivial way. And I, was, I can't listen to this. It seems like it's just harmless sports radio. It's not. Right. I mean, this is one of those trigger moments where if you recognize it at the seed, then it doesn't have to grow up. Exactly. And bear bad fruit. Exactly, and that's one of the things. Is it's like you know, and we start, and I'm the like, I'm like the last guy who would be called a prude half the time, you know. I, I uh, yeah. But I'll tell you, one of the biggest uh, tools the enemy has is humor. You know, mm -hmm. oh come on, Rick, Russ, lighten up. It's yeah. just, it's just funny. What's wrong with Howard Stern? He's just being funny. Right. Well, you're putting seeds into your mind that's going to cause that. Right. You're know, going to get that snowball rolling down the hill again. Or when I when I used to trade stocks, I was talking about that a little bit earlier. My stockbroker talked about uh, trying to catch a falling piano. You, know? <laughs> you just don't yeah, do that. Right. It's not going to happen. So you, you know, just getting to those points, and, and I talk about that a lot on this show. But it's that it's the habit, and I'm going to keep talking about it because you have to keep going back to that, breaking that homeostasis, breaking your rut, getting that 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 vehicle out of the the you know the mm -hmm. ditch, the status quo. Be, yeah, it's going to be tough, and it's uh, you know going back to the the first strategy that I talk about, snuffing out them little thoughts as soon as they enter your mind. Yeah, and if you can't, um, dealing with those issues as well. Uh, part of it is is forgiving ourselves and controlling others. Um, addicts 
most addicts lie. You know, we're going to lie, we're going to hide, we're going to put, keep our stuff in the closet. We don't want to talk about it. We, you know, a lot of stuff, a lot of emotional stuff that comes to us, which is another part of the snowball analogy, is when somebody says something that either hurts us, wounds us, or makes us question their, where they're coming from, and we don't address that. Then that starts another snowball rolling down the hill. Mm-hmm. The intimacy, I'm, I'm not worthy to be even talking to anyone. You know, who cares about what I say? Um, who am I? Why should I engage? Uh, that kind of attitude as well. Keeping things, just keeping things safe, you know? And then we act out out of that insecurity, don't we? And, and it's sort of like uh, a way of regaining control in our lives. We're feeling, uh, dumb, stupid, um, unsuccessful, unloved, low intimacy, let's say, with our marriage partner, that sort of thing. And uh, moving into our addiction, especially a sexual addiction, is a way of reclaiming some control in our life. Well, at least right. I can feel good here. At least I have this. I have yeah. this thing, you know, right over here that that's safe. Makes me feel good, me. Uh, and uh, even though I feel guilty or shameful afterwards, the bottom right. line is it's a little, it's a small little island of um, pleasure in the yeah. middle of my otherwise uh, horrible existence. Yeah, and, and sometimes as a, as a guy with intimacy struggles myself, I felt like this was mine. I have this over here, and it's mine, and I control it. Yes. And, and it's my, like my little monster, like my red lizard, which <laughs> I've talked about. You know, it's that red lizard. Yeah. You know, why am I not snuffing out those thoughts? Because that red lizard sitting on my shoulder, going, you know, what are you gonna do without me? You know, yeah. I'm, I'm your buddy. I'm what you got. You don't kill me. Right. You know, be careful. You know, you can kill me. Yeah. Don't ask God to kill me, because He will. Yeah, you, know, you start leaning on God, and more of God, less of me. Is what and the rest of your life is miserable, the, the little red lizard says. Mm-hmm. And so I'm the only little island of pleasure you've got. I'm the only place you feel safe, secure, worthy, valuable. All lies, but nevertheless we believe it, and that's what feeds the addiction. Because right. it says, this is the only shot I've got at feeling good. Yeah. This is my thing, and it's my only happiness. Yep. And me and you talked about it. I had a counseling session with you a few weeks ago, and I was on my way down here, and there's a big off-ramp on the freeway where I'm um, getting onto the freeway to come down here, and it's and they took the bridge out, you know? Mm. And now they have kind of a detour around it, but it's kind of like a big cloverleaf type of thing, and you got to go around six times, and but it takes a little longer, you know? Yeah. And a lot of us, we get into that point where um, this is hard, you know? And once we tear the bridge down, so to speak, mm-hmm. things are going to get worse before they get better. Usually, that area, yeah. traffic-wise, is yes. going to be a mess for a while until yes. they get the you know the new bridge up and widen the thing. Because that was the goal in the first place. The traffic was so backed up and so screwed up. You know, life was such a mess for the city of Everett at that point that yeah. they had to go in there and do some radical changes to fix it. And that's what we need to do. And you know what? I I love that analogy because it really brings the God factor into the recovery thing. And you probably have some listeners here who are just kind of really cool on Christianity. But the the supernatural factor in recovery is so critical because it requires the kind of faith that says, if I deconstruct this life that I've got, or to use your traffic analogy, if I just rip up this freeway, will it be better? Can I make these changes in the faith, in the hope, in the belief that I trust that it could be put back together better later? Right. Well, it's really hard to have that kind of faith. It's really hard to believe the best about the future if you don't also believe that there's a good God 
who wants you to experience life and fullness and freedom it, and freedom yeah. in his way and if you don't believe that then you're not going to dismantle your life you're going to say the current pleasure i've got as sort of twisted as it is is the only thing that's available to me and i would i dare not deconstruct my freeway i dare not for right. the hope of some future thing cuz i don't how can i have that hope apart from really believing that there is a creator god who loves me who made me for intimacy with himself who's got something better for me in the future right and and a little bit different than the freeway analogy is the fact that once it does start to get painful once we do start to de- deconstruct yes. the freeway um, it's going to be painful, and in a split second, we can go right back to the way things were before. Oh, yeah, because yeah. now this is the very thing that was driving the addictive behavior in the first place, right. was pain. pain. Was yeah. pain. Now, what you've done, you've just increased by 10x the pain in your life. <laughs> exactly. And so the pressure points to make you chase you back to your coping mechanism just skyrocketed. Right. So, again, those are going to be those are the moments you have to hang on to something bigger exactly. than pleasure. Right. Something bigger than I'm feeling good in this moment. Yeah. Leaning on God, being broken before God, carrying our cross, yes. so to speak. And that takes a habit, and it takes doing it over and over again. I talk about uh, one of the, the biggest strategy, there was, you know, Leaning on God, of course, and, and trusting God and praying and, and being more spiritually minded was probably number one. Number two, never giving up. Mm, yes. I failed hundreds of times, maybe even thousands in my own mind. Yeah. But I just never, ever, ever quit. Yes. Never give up. Yeah. Um, well, there's so much good information on that. I'm going to yeah. start reading some stuff by uh, Vince Lombardi. That's who he was. You know, and the... Coach Wooden had a lot of great stuff, but yeah. it's all about never quitting, yeah. never giving up the fight, mm-hmm. getting in, in battle and, and, and just understanding that you know, you're going to get knocked down. Yep. If, maybe if you're listening to this show for the first time, if you're hearing my voice, never heard any other shows, understand this. You will fail at one point or another in your life in this addiction especially. And that's one of the things that bothers me about a lot of churches. They just want to point at uh, sex addicts and say, why don't you just stop doing that behavior? Mm. Um, they'll wrap their arms around the drunk or the uh, drug addict. Yeah. But the sex addict, you know, that's a little... I mean, there's more research, and it's, it's becoming more known now, but... Uh, a lot of churches still are stuck in that. Why don't you just stop doing this behavior? This is sinful. It's gross. You're a pervert. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Just stop. Um, you have created a pattern in your mind. Uh, one of the things that sex drive, our sex drive, our instinct for sex has the hugest, I've heard that this is one of the hardest behavioral addictions to, to stop. When I say behavioral addictions, it's not chemical as far as putting a chemical inside you right. from the outside. But it is chemical in the sense of you are you know, you are tweaking chemicals in your mind that are driving your pleasure centers, you know. Yes. We get in pain and we were just gonna flood our pleasure centers with pleasure for, you know, a, a couple of minutes, a couple of right. seconds we right. get that orgasm and mm-hmm. after that then here comes the crash, you know. Mm-hmm. I heard a, a a person who was like five hundred pounds at one point in her life saying that she would sit and eat a whole cheesecake. Because it would make her feel good. And right afterwards, without even the sugar crash first, it was the emotional, spiritual crash. Right. And that's that's the guilt, isn't it, Rick? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's amazing how, um, you know, you see this this call to perseverance, you know, inscribed in the ancient words of the Bible. I mean, where you have the Apostle Paul saying, look, this one thing I do, 
I forget what lies behind. I press on towards what lies ahead. And he knew he was in a battle, a constant battle. I'm teaching on Romans 7 this week where, you know, here's a guy who writes, oh, you know, almost half your New Testament. And so consider to be the, uh, you know, a guy who's probably one of the most successful people at living out a new kind of life, this freedom you and I have been talking about. And here he wrestles, he struggles. He says, I beat my body daily and subdue it lest it overtake me. He realized it was sort of like he was fighting his house of flesh all the way to the end, and he knew that he would until, and this is the Christian promise, that his house of flesh was going to be made new, as new as his heart and his mind already were. So it's almost like we've got this this battle that we're fighting now at followers of Jesus Christ to live out in reality what has already been made reality on the inside, right. which is we're whole, forgiven, and holy. And that's why Christians in the Bible are called saints. <laughs> they're, right. they're all saints. Yeah, Everyone's called a holy one. You, sex addict Russ, and me, this uh, pervert uh, commandment breaker, I'm a saint. Right. Because... Uh, God says we've been made new on the inside. Now our battle is to live this thing out for the rest of our lives. That's going to be a three steps forward, one step back, two step back kind of process from here on out. Right. And that's not to say we won't experience significant victory. Uh, I mean, I think you've got a great story, Russ, in saying you know, you got, you're experiencing amazing amounts of victory. But you're not saying this is an unbroken chain of victories. You know, there's going to be setbacks. There's going to be issues. There's going to be... Uh, you know stuff like that, and um, if a guy like Paul experienced that, we can ex- we can expect that every one of us will. But like you said, failure is not uh, falling down. Failure is not getting back up. Yeah, it's not falling down. It's staying down. Yeah. And I like the analogy of uh, I talked about the the enemy standing on you, and, and I heard a guy talking about this, the Nazis. You know, when he puts his boot. And the mud hmm. on this guy's face, and in and the concentration camp, just holding him down, you know, in his his lips, and he can feel his face down in the mud with this Nazi guy standing there, and like this attitude, well, no, I'm getting back up, just despite this guy, I'll get back mm-hmm. up, you know, and it's that's the what the deal is with the devil, with the enemy, yeah. with our own flesh, you know, I'm gonna keep getting back up, even if it kills me, yeah, you know, I'm gonna keep getting back up. But that's another whole issue that we were going to go into, too, is even if it kills me, we need to understand um, one of the things that addicts will do is is control. If I'm not going to lie anymore, I'm going to try and control the situation by maybe committing suicide as mm-hmm. far as our relationships or getting the other person to murder us as far as our relationships. Right. And that can be uh, honesty. I've heard it say honesty uh, in an addict it doesn't you know cause divorce but speeds it up <laughs> yeah you know uh-huh. which is not a I mean yeah, that's why it's so important to have help in there to have either a men's group or a counselor mm-hmm. to, to help you talk this stuff out because it can be even recovery can be toxic for a relationship when our spouses really start to see the depths of our depravity in our soul and in our right. heart and not exposing them to some of our toxicness. You know, getting it with a name, a man, another guy mm-hmm. is very important because guys understand each other. Our brains are mostly wired the same. So that is so critically important. Um, you talked about sex a while back. We were talking about it, and you said something about the analogy of, like, splitting an atom. You know, sex is, it's, it's, mm. it, it feels so great. It's one of the greatest things that God gave us. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it has to be kept very 
Contained. Know, contained, yeah. Mm-hmm. It is very much like that. I, I heard that analogy from somebody in my past, and I just thought it was brilliant because uh, we know of very few things that are as powerful as atomic power. And uh, this power can be used for many things. It can be used to you know, level a city uh, with a bomb, or it can be used to light a city with power. And um, sex is kind of like that. So in order for it to have its uh, intended effect of blessing life instead of taking it away... It's got to be contained behind, literally, behind six-foot-thick concrete walls. And these reactors before that are surrounded by security guards, and these are in total lockdown. And uh, if they don't have all these safety procedures, of course, what happens is the effects of the splitting of atoms spills out uh, unregulated, and it kills. And it often, and here's the, uh, you know, where the analogy carries, is that what spills is not necessarily, in the case of radioactive radiation, um, it's not necessarily an instant killer. It's radiation that poisons your your body over a period of time, and they've they're finding out in Chernobyl that they've underestimated the amount of damage that accident had there in I think it was the the late 80s, and uh, now they're finding cancers that are growing that soaked into the ground, soaked into the ground, and it's just it's killing thousands and thousands. This is now 30 years after the the event. Right. So that's kind of what happens with an undisciplined sexuality. We say, well, you know, it's just like, um, you know, it's a, it's a biological thing. How can it be bad? But we realize the benevolence of God to want to uh, put some boundaries around this thing to contain it so that it can be used to power relationships instead of destroy them. Right. There's another psychologist that uh, came out with some new information on that as well, and the the epidemic of, of Viagra is one of the most yeah. prescribed medications today. Yeah. And talking about how masturbation and uh, you know using pornography, when we're d- not using it to help please somebody else, when we have a narcissistic smash and grab attitude towards sex, mm-hmm. it actually over a period of time is damaging our the way we do sex. You know, mm. guys, a uh, premature ejaculation, right. Or you know, problems with erectile dysfunction. All these, this guy is saying, it has to do with homeostasis status and and, and you know, the habits we're creating in our mind. Right. And when we are not using it to, I mean, saving sex for a good. When your relationship is working right and mm-hmm. intimacy, intimacy is working right, talk about makeup sex. You know, when two people yeah. come together intimately and they yeah. finally, you know, connect. discuss and yeah. connect, and then they have that makeup sex, and that's what sex is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about intimacy, even saving up for that intimacy. And one of the things I was afraid of, almost to a certain degree, is that I will lose my sex drive, or I won't want to have sex as often, or I won't be as potent. Actually, I'm better. Yeah, <laughs> you know now mm-hmm. than I was because the way I you know saving sex up for the occasion, right? That kind of thing. I've talked in my accountability relationships about having a sexual focus. That if you allow your sexual focus to spill out all over the place, either in masturbation, sexual fantasy, or in an emotional affair, you are draining. You're siphoning off sexual energy from if you're married from your marriage partner where it was meant to go. And I think the the men especially are they will justify this and say I've got more than my wife can handle, and so therefore I have to siphon some of this off. Right. But what you're saying, Russ, and I think this is supported anecdotally in my experience in counseling, and by the informal research I'm doing, is that you spill this uh, sexual energy and focus off away from your marriage, and you come to your marriage bed 
and it's not good. Yeah. You know, it's not pleasing. It's not fulfilling. You're not able to perform uh, because um, it's it's gone. It, and you know, it's interesting. Again, we go back and we say, well, where where this analogy from Proverbs chapter three? This amazing analogy about um, this is about adultery, but a, son, a father's warning his son and saying, look. Whatever you do, save your sexual energy for the wife of your youth. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. May you be enchanted always with her love. And then he juxtaposes that with letting your sexual energy spill it into the streets, and he uses the analogy of water. Right. And he says you contain it inside of a container. You can use it for washing, for all good purposes. But if you have no way to contain it, it spills out into the streets. And then, of course, he vividly describes the consequences uh, of that and he describes it in terms of reaping an evil harvest in your own body and in shame and the community and and uh, allow you know reaping consequences with your children i mean the bible is so good at giving us the long-term perspective and says okay yeah this is going to be fun for a few minutes okay right. could we please talk about five years from now yeah you know could we think 10 years down the road about these activities yeah. But back to your, your earlier point about just sexual folks, I just so agree with you. So the the what we think are harmless little sexual diversions, not harmless, because you said they show up. And now you're saying, you know, uh, this unprecedented level of prescription of Viagra right. dealing with sexual dysfunction in an age when we've got more sexual license than we've ever had. How yeah, how does that work? How yeah. does this work exactly? Yeah, and it's and it goes back to and that was one thing that you helped me out a lot with too because I came in here with the attitude of you know you you did a sermon about uh, saving sex till marriage and and stuff like that and I just sat there I remember shaking my head and looking at you going that is just totally unrealistic hmm. you know there's just no way people can't do that today but if you can discipline yourself to do it. Mm-hmm. It, it, I'm telling you, it really is better way of doing it. The Bible isn't a big book of rules. We're going to smack you and spoil all your fun. Right. It's, a, it's an instruction manual for life. And in the sexual arena, which is a p- place most people fight us. I mean, if you really look at it, Rick, why are, if you look at why most people are pissed off at Christians, it has to do with our take on homosexuality mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Now, I do believe that there's a lot of people who are, pointing at homosexuals and blowing this way out of proportion. You know, you're all going to hell and God hates fags yeah. and just a bunch of not God's heart about it. Yeah. I mean, I think homosexuality is a sin where you can see it. I mean, you can see that on the surface. You know, so we the, a lot of Christian groups and they uh, want to point fingers at it and go, I, I wonder where the Christians were. Thor Tolo talked about this on, on the Live from Seattle show. He said that uh, no-fault divorce has done more to destroy marriage in this country than homosexuality will ever do. Mm. Um, if if there ever is gay marriage, it is going to be because of no-fault divorce. Absolutely. There should have been crowds and Christians screaming in the streets about no-fault divorce first. Yes. And we wouldn't even be discussing homosexual or yes. gay marriage yeah. if it wasn't for that. I mean, we've broken marriage down to just, well, I, I, I had a... A paper with uh, attorneys wrote this thing, and it was all these different reasons why people got divorced, like um, leaving the cap off the toothpaste. You know, mm-hmm. st- it's just stupid stuff like that. Yeah. And you know, being in love is is a commitment. It's not something that's just, you know, I just don't love you anymore. We're gonna. I couldn't agree this. more. You know, I w- I was teaching about homosexuality a while back, and um, really talking about the seeds of this were in how heterosexuals handled sex. If um, or specifically Christians, 
when Christians showed that sex was not, when marriage was not sacred, as we said it was, and that sex was just basically like sharing pizza, and oh, I could have it with you, and then I, I revoke my, my sort of, uh, my, my contract with you, and now I enter into another contract, and serial monogamy became the habit of Christians, whose divorce rate is as high as non-Christians. Right. Of course, the homosexual community looks in and says, okay, wait a second. As long as, you know, uh, heterosexual marriage had broad so societal benefits, I was happy to sort of maybe keep this thing on the down low and uh, recognize that maybe it's not, you know, mainstream and, and uh, all okay. Right. But when I look in and see Christians uh, operating with a serial monogamous sort of uh, uh, MO, where they go from relationship to relationship and sexuality is not sacred and not... Uh, considered a spiritual thing, well then, you know, by what right do we say that homosexuality, homosexual sex is any different from that? It's right. just it's just orgasms. Exactly. Or pointing at them and, and saying you're going to hellfire. Well, right. That attitude, and, and, yeah, well, elevating it above the level of any other sin is also a huge problem that Christians have. They've created a, an impression that somehow to be irresponsible sexually in this way is worse than to be irresponsible sexually in this other way. Right. Or sin in, you know, different levels of sin. Yeah. We were talking about Matthew 5, how Matthew 5 is kind of a breakdown of Jesus, you know, saying, well, you keep this commandment. Well, let me break that commandment down yeah. for you to its, yeah. you know, to adultery and, and what he says about sexual lust and, and stuff like that. And and then he says about, here's here's my always debate on the people who say all the gay people are going straight to hell. Well, Jesus also said in Matthew 5 that if... Uh, you know, if you get divorced from someone, that doesn't necessarily mean you're divorced. I mean, Jesus' only uh, terms for divorce in the Bible were uh, infidelity. If you marry a woman who's divorced from another guy and that that marriage didn't end in infidelity, then you're committing adultery. So Jesus is saying that people who, that probably, you know, a good 80 to 90 percent of divorces out there, you know, those yeah. people are living in adultery. So to point the finger at the homosexuals, say they're going to hell, and the people who are in adultery because of the way that you know they got divorced or whatnot, is you know it's just it, it just it just ticks me off. Rick. And it's that's it's a I'm double so standard. Yeah, the double standard. It's a double standard, right? And I'm so Jesus glad was... that the way we do church here, I can come to you and say what I like about pornography, or when I first started, you know, addressing this stuff, what I liked about sin, why why the Bible is wrong <laughs> in mm. my mind that I thought. And this, is a safe, this, this being a safe place to do that because most churches are, are so uncomfortable with that. Somebody challenging them on what the Bible says and mm -hmm. putting it to the test in, in 2006, you know. I'm glad to hear you say that because we have gone out of our way to try to um, be just to be a safe place. That's in our mission statement, to be a safe place where every seeker in Snohomish County can become a fully devoted follower of Christ. That means to be safe, we have to honor your essential personhood and humanity, and, and you've been made in the image of God. So we got to give you the freedom to make decisions about your relationship with God uh, on your own. And um, right. we, we certainly want to influence you towards the good news about Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. But we, we know we're not going to get ahead in that game if we force you into anything. We've got to present the evidence as clearly as we can, and we believe that God doesn't need us to uh, defend him. He's been doing just fine without us. All right. And uh, But he has asked us to partner with him and getting the word out. So that's what we do, creating a safe place where you can ask questions 
uh, push back all you want. And just like you're saying, Russ, and I think you're saying to all your listeners, be real. Yeah. I mean, authenticity and truthfulness, con- living a confessional lifestyle is the key. And so if we believe that, and I do, I believe that. We try to model it from the stage, so I preach confessionally. So you've heard a lot of my sins in sermons right. and in pulpit talks where uh, I try to preach confessionally, then I hope that gives people the permission to live confessionally. What would you say to someone who's in a church that maybe is dogmatic, or they're a fear of coming out and being real because they might be gossiped about behind their back, or or you know somebody's going to confront them? What, what would you say to somebody who's stuck in a, in a church like that? And how to be an influence in a... Well, I guess the first thing I would say is I wouldn't... I, I would want that person not to assume based on silence or based on a veneer in the uh-huh. church that everyone in that church doesn't want the lid to be blown off this thing. All right. Because it may be that at least in select places and locations and relationships that there's a hunger in that church for reality, for truthfulness, for authenticity, for people to get real about their poverty of spirit, as we said. Because right. they came to Jesus in that church, for the most part, uh, confessing, realizing that they were broken and needing help. Now, Christians forget that. I mean, that's the the fundamental irony of Christendom is that we forget we were saved by grace, but now we live by works. Right. And so, uh, you're probably living in a church that is hungry to recover the grace-based right living that that the Bible talks about. So, so here's what I would do. I would uh, try to find someone that you initially have a connection with, someone you have an affinity with, maybe another male if you're a man in another similar situation, another female in a similar life situation. Connect on a friendship level and then start doing it. Start living out the kingdom values we're talking about that you talk about on your show, Russ. And, and, you know, ease into that. Uh, Take take calculated uh, risks in those relationships and see if they are not reciprocated. Right. And I believe they will be. I believe, you know, I just had to do this. I mean, I was a pastor, right? And I've had to grab my own accountability partners because I've had to set the tone. I've had to set the rules because no one else knew what was allowed to, to be talked about. So when I got into relationships that I wanted to develop to an accountability level, I had to take the first risk. I had to talk about my issues. I had to talk about my junk. I had to unpack my closet. And then the person, I could just see it. I could see there was, those were defining moments in the relationship where the lights went on in their head and they said, oh, oh, we're, oh, we're going to go there, are we? All right. <laughs> and it was like you could just tell in the right relationships, you know, I had cultivated them to the place that I knew I could take that risk. And it was like, oh, finally, someone is given permission. Yeah, someone is finally someone the jar. finally opened the jar. I bet <laughs> you're going to find someone hungry like that in almost every church. If you right. can't find a single person in a church, uh, in, in any kind of community of faith that follows Jesus Christ, um, after right, like I said, after cultivation of the relationship, don't blow somebody out of the water. But you know, you cultivate some trust in a friendship and uh, become more and more transparent. Boy. You know, then you're you're living in a deeply dysfunctional faith community, right. and maybe you need to find. And some, that's part of the you know. slippery slope, isn't it? That we were talking about as far as with a marriage, uh, with uh, our relationship with God, with our relationship with people in our church or in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, this book, uh, Peacemaker, by Ken Sandy, yeah. has a great. Uh, it's a great book about uh, just mediation. Yeah. But there's a great scale in there on dealing with uh, the slippery slope. In in any relationship, whether it be you know a marriage where we're trying to confess ourselves to to get 
the crap beat out of us. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. even in the church, we're going to confess ourselves. Are we going to do it with a motivation to open the lid, or are we going to do it with a motivation to commit murder or suicide? As far as, you know, it's all an attitude. That's why yes. I talk about attitude so much on this show. Is because your attitude, the way you bring things out, you know, whatever rivers of your heart and your mind, that's where, you know, that connection comes from. Your attitude will change your whole world. Yeah. And the Bible says, you know, Ephesians 4.15, we speak the truth in love, we'll grow up spiritually. And this slippery slope is about moving from one uh, end of that scale to the other and dysfunctionally so so in other words if I value truth in a relationship to the exclusion of love then I become a murderer in that relationship and you say in a spiritual sense right. I, I, am, I am attacking you I'm driving you away by my intense need for all the truth and why didn't you do that and this is especially relevant Russ for the listeners who are uh, who maybe been violated by a sexual addict and feel feel abused in that way and they may want I want I want truth right. I want I want all on the table and there's an attack response that essentially excludes love and becomes these sort of uh mur- you know murdering the relationship right and that, sometimes us as the addict in a relationship with someone like that we will uh you know maybe we're married to someone like that yeah. and we will bring it up just because we know that that's what's going to happen here okay give me my beating now right out of a desire for self destructive just you actually want the relationship to end or you uh, or you just yeah like you're saying i deserve this now right. um so you're you know, almost intentionally bringing stuff up so that you can be beaten up. Right. Some people do that in the church. They'll prove their inadequacy or their, you know, it's the same. They become professional thing. weaker brothers. Just they're, they're actually getting something out of it. We don't do anything without some benefit. Right. So we ask ourselves, what, what causes a person to live in that l- lifestyle where they actually like being berated? Well, they're getting probably some intimacy. They're getting yeah, some. there's a payoff somewhere. There's a payoff somewhere. Yeah. The other side of this is the escape responses that are to the exclusion of truth. I don't really, really want to deal with the truth in this relationship, and this often maybe is the addict before he comes clean. Is um, He's really wanting to commit spiritual suicide in the sense that he's, he's, uh, he's wanting to live in denial. He's, he's running away from running the stuff. Away, yeah. uh, and then finally, like you said... Uh, suicide. I, I com- uh, and Ken Sandy gives these terms, so this is not my stuff. He just excellent book. Uh, he talks about peace faking, which is the exclusion of truth, or peace breaking, which is the exclusion of love. Right. But you put these two things together, and you have several godly responses to the conflict that combine truth and love. Right. And uh, just some beautiful stuff where it begins with overlook, and there are some things in a relationship where it's a truth and love response to just overlook it. We just say, you know what? I'm not going to deal with this offense. <laughs> right. I don't have to bring this up. I don't have to hash this out. And if you're on the attack response end of things, this is one of the hardest things to do. It's just to begin to say, you know what? So-and-so, they forgot, um, you know, they didn't remember to, uh, you know, close the door or uh, bring home the bread and sugar like I asked them to. I'm going to overlook that. I right. don't have to drag that out and make that a big deal. And if they, as that person l- learns to, you know, put a little more truth in with the love and overlook, then the person they're living with has less trigger points to go to their their uh, coping mechanisms. Right. Because one of the things that drives addicts to their coping me- mechanisms is little nitpicky, you know, condemnation that happens over every little thing, and right. they say no one loves me. 
Right. And then we internalize that and say, well, this, you know, that's and just me and I'm just a jerk and, and, uh, you know. But if when you, when you're in recovery and you are trying to change these behaviors, um, if you love an addict, one of the things that will really help them is to overlook some of their behaviors. Now, that doesn't mean overlook porn addiction no. or overlook them. Right. You know. Yeah, I'm talking about stuff that you can say that you can, you know what, I don't have to make a big deal out of this. Right. Um, I can unilaterally forgive. Now, if you can't do that, and here's how you know you can't, because it keeps coming up and it's like a burr under your saddle. And you just know that you can't overlook it. You need to step it up. And now you need to move towards reconciliation. Another truth in love response. Right, right. And that... This is staying on top of the slippery slope. Exactly. Right. This, exactly. Well said. So, you know, you kind of... You're not sliding off into peace faking or into peace breaking. Now you're dealing with reconciliation, which means you're confronting the person face to face, but you're doing so in love. And you're doing so first by looking and getting the log out of your own eye. That's a phrase Jesus said. Your listeners may not be familiar with that. But right, right. Jesus said, get the log out of your own eye, which means, you know, recognize you got stuff. You got crap. Uh-huh. You know, you got you got a junk drawer. Uh, get that open and recognize you maybe brought something to the party. And when you can get that out, now you're going to be in a much better situation that I can take the speck out of your eye. Right, right. So Judgment com- is such a huge thing that we can't see past it. Right. A lot of people, I think, miss that from that whole <laughs> analogy. From yeah. Matt, That's right. right. In fact, right. Some people, all they, you know, in our culture, Russ, you know, they just like to hang on to the very first verse, which is, by the way, found in Matthew 6, 1. You know, do not judge. Right. And we hang on to that as if a person who lives a godly life will not make any discerning decisions about good or bad behavior. That's that's not ex- at all what Jesus meant. We do make discerning calls about what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong. And we do need to draw attention to it sometimes. But in the context of the rest of, the, of those verses, Jesus says, here's how you're supposed to do it. Judge not. First, what you do is take the log out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to identify areas that need improvement in this other person. Your right. brother. It's a whole attitude of humility, of yeah. recognizing, okay, I'm going to call bad bad, and I'm going to call good good, but I'm also going to recognize that bad and good live in me. And I've got some junk i got to clean up. Judge not means I don't judge in a harsh way as if I've got my crap together. Right. Because I, I don't. Exactly. So in a, in a relationship where, let's say, porn has come out onto the table, and I'm the offended spouse, it's just deeply critical that uh, I um, I recognize, let's say, where trust is being eroded again. Like, let's say, um, my addicted spouse didn't return a phone call, and I'm worried that maybe, you know, he's off in a secret life again. I need to recognize that maybe there's some things I contributed to some of the trigger points that I'm seeing in them, some of right. the escape uh, habits that are going on in them. And if I can confess that, I've just given tremendous permission to my the spouse that is wrestling with sex addiction to just be real themselves. Yeah, and when my wife started doing that, I just felt like such a a pressure valve was released when I understood where she was coming from Yeah, and that she understood my heart and what hurt me. Because that's another thing with addicts. We just don't want to say we're hurt sometimes. We don't want to say it. We don't want to verbalize it. I'm hurt. We don't even... We come to a habit of just taking our hurt and not even identifying it as hurt. Mm -hmm. But... uh, Rick, thanks again for being on the show. I appreciate it. This has been great. I'd uh, love to have you on a- again sometime. In the I'd love future. to do it. Uh, next week I'll have on uh, Joe Dallas. We'll be talking about uh, the game plan, men's strategy guide for uh, 
sexual purity. And uh, I might do another show. I'd love re- email reaction to today's show. It's russ at digitalaudioproject.com. Um, if you'd like to get a hold of Rick, uh, I could just email Rick T at AC3, or they could That's come it. through me, Rick mm-hmm. T. Either way. At AC3.org. If you'd like to contact Rick about some of this stuff, some of your struggles with faith, this guy has helped me out tremendously with that stuff. And understanding that, uh, you know, opening the jar, opening the, the lid on the jar is kind of what we do here in this church, and we deal with yeah. each other's stuff on a on a very real level. You know, we are willing to challenge the Bible and on stuff and really test its truth, and it really is true, you know, mm-hmm. when we break it down and, and show... Uh, what the Bible says about about truth issues and what Jesus says, and it's just so important, Rick. And I wanted to uh, close with a a song by Rufio called "Set It Off." It's kind of like uh, opening the jar hmm. on on relationships and and never quitting, understanding that the only way we change is by addressing this stuff, talking about the things that are not necessarily safe in the beginning. You'd be amazed how safe they are once you understand them and get them out on the surface. So, thanks again for listening. Russ at digitalaudioproject.com. Digitalaudioproject.com slash ASI is the website. Until next week, until next time.